Today on Blue 58, the Packers find themselves in a bit of an odd situation heading into training camp this year, at least a different situation from most recent seasons. That situation is this. They have a bunch of pretty viable linebackers on their roster. But are any of them any good? Well, that's an entirely different question. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. want to remind you that you can listen to Blue 58 on YouTube if that is how you prefer to get your audio content. Just search The Power Sweep there, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to make sure you're getting your episodes there. It's a great place to listen. We have a pretty regular commenting group there as well. In fact, wanted to give a shout out today to God's Knight, the YouTube user there. They say they're listening during long-haul trucking overnight. Helps them stay awake. So I guess uh, that is a good thing. Uh, stay awake while you drive. Be safe out there. Drive safe. And again, shout out to God's Night on YouTube and all of our regular YouTube commenters as well. Check it out if you haven't already. Before we get to linebackers, Adam Schefter back at it again. He tweeted this morning, This offseason, the Packers offered Aaron Rodgers a two-year contract extension that would have tied him to Green Bay for five more seasons and made him the highest-paid QB and player in football. Rodgers declined the offer. Proof, it's not about the money. That is the entirety of the quote. There was no accompanying article, as when he dropped his big bombshell back in April. So we don't have a lot to go on here, but I do have a few thoughts. First, most of this is not new. We knew that Aaron Rodgers got a contract offer. We knew it would pay him a lot, and we knew that he declined it. We knew all of this months ago. Mike Silver of the NFL Network reported this in March that the Packers were working on an extension. After uh, Adam Schefter dropped his bombshell on draft day, Ian Rappaport tweeted a couple days later or reported a couple days later uh, that the Packers had indeed offered Aaron Rodgers a significant contract extension. He repeated this same thing back in May with additional details saying the contract extension was significant. Bob McGinn of The Athletic actually reported pretty much verbatim what Schefter tweeted out today, that the Packers were offering Rodgers a contract that would make him the highest paid player in football. This is not new information. And you kind of have to therefore wonder why he sent this out right now. And it's pretty obvious. I think if you figure it out, or if if you're paying attention to what's going on in Wisconsin sports right now, there's a pretty significant game in the NBA that is going to be tipping off here in exactly 33 minutes. Bucks are in the NBA Finals. Could wrap it up this evening with uh, with a Game 6 win, Bucks in 6. And I guess you'll know by the time this podcast comes out whether or not that actually happened. But as of this recording, there's very little new information out there as uh, as to what Adam Schefter says. Secondly, the new stuff is not helpful. Um, there are a couple of phrases in here that you could say are fairly new. You could say that the two-year contract extension is technically new. Okay, sure, that's one point for Schefter there. Another phrase, this would have tied him to Green Bay for five more seasons. Maybe, maybe not there. Without contract info, you can't say for sure. Not all contracts are created equal. You know this, I know this. How contracts are structured really plays a big part in how often or, or how long they actually are. I mean, just look at the Packers' current situation with Aaron Rodgers. His contract runs for several more seasons beyond this one, but the mechanics of releasing him become much easier after this season should the Packers decide to move on. That is kind of the whole reason we're in this situation. You can't just say it would tie him to Green Bay for five more seasons without putting those contract numbers out there. 
Same kind of goes for the last point. Would have made him this contract the highest paid quarterback and player in football. Again, maybe, maybe not. We talked about this with Patrick Mahomes' extension. Looks absolutely enormous. But you start breaking down the contract deals or the contract details, where does Patrick Mahomes actually rank in terms of cash flow and things like that? It looks good in some ways short term, but he's going to be outstripped very quickly. How long would this Rodgers deal, such as it is, in theory, keep him as the highest paid quarterback and player in football? We don't even know that. We don't even know if it would make him technically the highest paid player in football. Maybe it's just a two-year cash flow situation where he's getting a bunch of money up front, and again, it becomes easy to release him, say, two years from now. We just don't know. The bottom line, though, is this. Adam Schefter is playing us. There's a big Bucks game tonight. ESPN needed a story, so what does ESPN do? They manufacture a story, and what did it do? It got us all talking about it for an entire day. Here we are talking about it right now. But that's the behind the scenes on, on that game. Everybody knows it's happening now, though, and I think we're becoming, I guess in some ways, smarter media consumers about this sort of thing. Everybody can understand, especially as Schefter himself was telling us about his initial breaking news story, quote-unquote breaking news story on Rodgers, that he holds things for opportune times. He's trying to make the biggest splash. He's not trying to necessarily just report information when he has it. He wants to make a big splash. And that crosses some interesting journalistic lines. I almost said ethical. I'm not sure ethical is the right word for it. Are you a journalist or are you an entertainer? This offseason, Adam Schefter has been more entertainer than journalist, and he's done a darn good job being an entertainer because he's getting a lot of people to pay attention to ESPN. Journalistically, I think there are some problems here, and it's fair, I think, to call those out as they come up. And uh, that is part of this whole process as well. If there is a perception that the Packers are doing business a certain way, certainly they have played into that. But the media has also played into that a little bit as well, too, because they have shaped this story along the way. It's not just the involved parties here. Let's talk about linebackers. As I said in the intro here, the Packers have an interesting situation relative to their last couple. They've got a bunch of guys that are, if not necessarily great linebackers, Guys that are at least guys that belong in NFL rosters. Just straight off the top, you've got Devondre Campbell, Chris Barnes, and Kamal Martin. You know, your opinion of those guys may vary. It may, you may think some of them should just be backups or special teamers, but I think it's fair to say each of them probably belongs on an NFL roster in some capacity. You can quibble beyond that. You can not like any of the guys beyond that, but I think it's fair to say that the guys in question here belong on NFL rosters. For a team that doesn't put a whole lot of resources into inside linebacker, that is a not terrible situation to be in. I'm not saying it's good. I'm careful to not say that the linebacker situation is good because for starters, none of these guys may end up being good this year. And there are just and a, a multiple multitude of other factors that are going to go into whether or not they can be good. For instance, there's just a lot we don't know yet about how the Packers linebackers are going to be used. If Joe Barry uses his inside linebackers like Mike Pettin does, how many guys are actually going to get real snaps this year? 
and how many of those inside linebacker snaps are going to be soaked up by guys who are, you know, safeties, hybrid safeties. We just don't know. If it's more like Brandon Staley in Los Angeles, and maybe even fewer true inside linebacker snaps. A lot of the time, it's just going to be one single inside linebacker out there. So there's a lot we don't know. But just looking at these guys on paper, looking at what they've done in their NFL career so far, they look like at least viable players. They're not just guys that you know. Well, think back to 2016. The Packers down the stretch that season. Uh, Aaron Rodgers gets hot. They're doing the run the table thing. But they're starting guys at at cornerback who should not be in the NFL. Ladarius Gunter, uh, as much as you like the story there, he was very clearly out of his depth at that time. He did not belong on an NFL field. And the Packers are out there trying to defend Julio Jones in Atlanta with that lineup. This is not that. We still don't know how good these guys can be, but I think they are at least capable of being on an NFL roster. That all having been said, I think the expectations for this group have to be pretty low, and that factors a little bit into we just don't know what is going to be expected of them. We know that they're probably not going to be counted on to be the big dogs on defense. They're not going to be guys that are counted on to make all the plays uh, on defense for the Packers, and that's good because I don't think they have the horses to make that happen at this position group either. But I do think we can have what I would describe as pretty moderate expectations, guys that should be better than just simple role players, but guys whose roles may be a little bit limited. So having set those expectations broadly for the group, what do we expect for guys individually? Well, let's start with Devondre Campbell. I think looking at his contract, you pretty much have to pencil him in as, if not the starter, at least one of the top two or three linebackers on the roster right now. Still pretty moderate expectations here because you've kind of got two two sides to Campbell. On the one hand, a veteran guy, long-term starter for a couple teams. He's been fairly successful on a couple NFL teams too. But on the other hand, he's not an overpowering athlete despite having some pretty good size. He's been successful but not wildly successful and really not much of a playmaker in terms of getting his hands on the ball, coming up with sacks, tackles for lost, things like that. So what does a moderately uh, a role with moderate uh, season with moderate expectations look like for Devondre Campbell. I think you just say don't look like a liability out there. Too often the Packers have had guys that necessar- don't necessarily bring a lot to the table, but certainly take a couple things off of it. Kamal Martin was kind of that kind of guy last year. Uh, he was inexperienced. He was hurt at the start of the season, so he was behind the eight ball developmentally, and I think that showed down the stretch. There's athleticism there, but he was a liability. He guessed too wrong or guessed too often in the run game and ended up giving up big gains. Not good for the Packers. Campbell cannot be a liability for the Packers because if he is, the linebacker depth chart gets pretty thin, pretty fast beyond him. But if he can avoid looking like a liability, the Packers will be well on their way to a pretty solid linebacker group. Next up is Chris Barnes, one of the nicest surprises from last year, but I think has to come into 2021 with pretty moderate expectations. And that's because he's fairly limited as a player. Not necessarily bad in any sense, but just some size things, some overall athletic things, some issues in coverage things. I think paint him as a pretty limited player. And again, we saw what he could do in Mike Pettin's scheme last year. Joe Barry's scheme may be an entirely different ballgame. So what does that look like for a player like Barnes? I think like Campbell, 
don't be a liability, but also take a step forward from last year. Okay, you were getting your feet wet as an undrafted rookie free agent with uh, very little in the way of training camp, uh, with a weird environment just all around, with uh, the, the pandemic that really altered the face of last season in a big way. He, too, cannot be a liability, but he has to look better than last year as well. So it's two defensive systems in two years. That's going to be a hurdle for him to overcome. But uh, if he can make it as an undrafted free agent in those circumstances, I think it's fair to ask him to take to take a step forward from where he was last year. Similar sort of route for Kamal Martin. Moderate expectations uh, for a guy who looked like he might have a, a big role at the start of last year. It ended up being a pretty small role, uh, due in part to injuries and due in part to the emergence of Chris Barnes. Still, you like his athleticism relative to the rest of the linebackers the Packers have on the roster. You like that athleticism combined with a little bit more size uh, compared to a guy, say, like Chris Barnes. Um, Martin's built a little bit different, and you like that. Uh, But I think for him, his 2021 season, you just don't want him to be a liability like Barnes. And he's got to stay healthy for the entire year. That was a big big problem for him last year. It basically derailed his season, but if he can stay healthy and avoid just being a negative on defense, uh, the Packers might have something there at the top end of their depth chart. Beyond those three guys, I have pretty low expectations for everybody else on the roster for varying reasons. First and foremost, for Oren Burks. How can expectations be lower for him at this point? Maybe overdrafted back in the third round, but still hasn't lived up to his billing as a third-round pick, especially for a guy as athletic as he is. What does a good 2021 look look like for him? Meeting expectations probably means, in the best-case scenario, he becomes a real contributor on defense. But I think you know that's not going to happen. I think I know that's not going to happen. Counting on him to make a leap here in his his fourth year is just not going to pan out. It just doesn't seem realistic for him. A realistic good scenario then, would just be a bunch of special team snaps. If you can have a small, small role on defense, five, ten snaps per game at most, and then just be an absolute core special teamer, that's a viable NFL career. It's not what you want out of a third-round pick, but we're past meeting expectations for a third-round pick for Burks at this point. Just meet him where he's at and uh, get him a bunch of special team snaps and um, see where you go from there. The problem with that is there's a couple guys on the roster who might have a better shot at filling that role than Burks does. Isaiah McDuffie, 2021 late round pick, um, is kind of the latest version of Oren Burks. It's kind of a weird thing to say in terms of his 2021 expectations, but he's got a lot of people on the depth chart ahead of him that are going to make his outlook difficult here. And that's a weird thing, I think, to say for an inside linebacker on the Packers, a team that historically does not spend practically anything on inside linebackers. But ahead of him, he's got a 2020 draft pick. You've got a long-term, fairly long-term starter in Chris Barnes, and you've got a free agent signing in Devondre Campbell, whose contract is going to make it difficult to justify cutting him unless he totally is just an absolute bum in training camp this year. So McDuffie at best right now, with no training camp reps at all, is probably the fifth inside linebacker. And as a result, I think his future role is pretty small. So what does a small role look like for a guy with pretty low expectations? Well, make the, make the team and be a special teams contributor. Same goes for Ty Summers. I like 
him as a slightly more athletic version of Isaiah McDuffie, but he too has a pretty small future role, especially given the depth chart issues that he is playing with on the Packers. From there, it gets a little bit more interesting because we've got guys that, um, not draft picks, not guys that have been on the roster before in a big way, but guys that have interesting attributes in their own way. Tipa Galei is that first one. His 2021 expectations are pretty low because I think he's very similar to Delonte Scott, whom we talked about in the last episode. What is he exactly? Six foot five, 229 pounds. He probably should be an edge rusher, but the Packers have talked about him in the past a little bit more as an off-the-ball type guy. He played nine snaps as an edge defender last year, uh, but he may be more suited to a more coverage-oriented kind of Devondre Campbell-type linebacker role. Campbell, also a very tall, relatively slightly built, more coverage-oriented linebacker. That may be Galei's path to the roster. So what is he really? I don't know. And that kind of plays a big role into why I don't really know what to expect from him this year. Sure, low expectations, but I don't really have any idea what he is. Maybe he's actually an edge, and I'm wrong for including him in this position group. I would say probably yes, uh, if if the assumption is John is wrong, that's probably a fairly good assumption. But if that's true, there's a chance he could end up being that number four edge rusher. You throw him out there with uh, Jonathan Garvin and Randy Ramsey for the number four edge rusher competition and see what happens. He seems athletic enough to make it happen, and he's got some physical attributes where if he could add a little bit of weight, he might had something have something there. And there are opportunities to be had on the edge regardless, just because of the state of the Packers' depth chart. But again, what is he? We don't really know. And uh, since we didn't have much training camp at all last year, I don't know if we can really find an answer. John Harris is next up. He is a sawed-off version of Chris Barnes, six foot tall, about 230 pounds, not a great athlete, already smallish. So what is the path forward to him, for him? I don't really know either. Low expectations as a result. The Packers did keep him around for quite a while last year, uh, but they have some other holdovers on the roster, as well as a new draft pick addition at linebacker. Getting even to the practice squad seems like a pretty tall order for Harris, but you never know. Finally, rounding out the linebacker group, let's talk about Ray Wilborn. No joke, this is a real player. Actually is on the roster right now. Six foot three, 230 pounds. He moved from safety, moved to safety rather, not from safety, to safety from linebacker in college. That is an interesting, interesting position switch because usually you see guys going the other way. So what does that look like in terms of a, a 2021 season for Mr. Wilborn? What are we looking at for him? Probably ends up on the practice squad, but I think he is an interesting wild card. We don't know what the Packers are going to do as far as their safety linebacker hybrid spots, if they are going to have one. But if you're going to fill it, how about a thickly built, tall-ish guy who played some safety in college and played it pretty well? That might be a pretty good option, especially since he moved to linebacker or from linebacker to safety, not necessarily the other way around. And I guess in the NFL, he's gone back the other way. But still, uh, I would rather have a, a guy who's big and fast moving to safety and showing that he can play on the back end, then moving back forward than a guy who's just too slow to be a safety, so you ask him to bulk up and uh, and become a linebacker. Ray Wilborn at least did that at the college level, a little maction at Ball State. 
can he do it in the NFL? Who really knows? But uh, it, it could be worth a shot, and it's an interesting shot, if nothing else. We're going to talk about Blood, Sweat, and Chalk here in Chapter 10. Before we do, I want to give a shout-out to three more Patreon supporters. We had a new patron join this week, and we've had three more around for quite some time. Today we're shouting out GoGo Sonam, Minnesota. Interesting name there, but I love it. Carl Kinstrom Anderson and Alex Newman, all of whom have been supporters since 2020, and we appreciate their support. We'd appreciate your support as well if you head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. If you join up there, you'll have access to some bonus content as well as access to our Discord server, which is a great place to hang out and talk Packers with Packers fans from all over the world. Multiple countries, multiple continents. It's a great time, and I really appreciate everybody who's chosen to support us via Patreon. It helps us keep this entire operation going and uh, helps us do things like uh, Blue 58 Book Club, which is what we're going to dive into right here. Blood, Sweat, and Chalk, Chapter 10, talks about student body right and student body left. Uh, But it's a play. It's a very specific play. It worked for USC uh, back in the 70s. And looking at this chapter overall, it gets at something really well that we've talked about before, the marriage of system and players. Tim Layden or, or Layden described this as a a play or an offensive mentality, I guess, that is a descendant of the Packers' power sweep. But, as he says, it was operated by a generation of better athletes. And this is basically the ideal situation, as we've talked about. You're innovating, you're getting good players, and you're putting them in a position to succeed. That is the way you'd like it to work out. You're doing things that people have not necessarily done before or doing things in a way that people have not necessarily done them before. You're doing them with good players and you're putting those good players in a situation that maximizes their gifts, abilities, and skills. This play, I think, also shows one universal truth about football. Mass wins. Not always, but often. Putting big bodies out in front of your fast runners is a good way to get things done. And throwing a whole bunch of them to one side of a formation or pulling them like guards and tackles and such is a good way to get those big bodies out in front. And student body right, student body left gets a lot of mass moving in one direction and guys get to just pick their way behind it. This is a pretty short chapter, so I don't have a lot to say really about it uh, specifically. Uh, But I thought it was interesting that we circled back to a game we talked about earlier in this book in this chapter, USC beating up on Alabama to end their 1970 season which Layden says in part uh, led to the integration of Alabama's football program, which is something we had called out earlier as uh, as uh, a missed detail there. Uh, Student body right gets the mention here, but previously we had talked about that game in relation to the flexbone and wishbone offenses. The same general principles apply there too, though. You're just trying to get a bunch of bodies moving in one direction and have your fast guys run behind all of those bodies. It's a system that works. It's worked since time immemorial, back to the single wing days and beyond. And it works even if you want to dress it up a little bit more, whether that's the wishbone, the flex bone, eye formation, power sweep, whatever. Just get big bodies moving in one direction and let your running backs figure it out from there. Some interesting Packers connections. There's a lot of deep running Packers connections at USC. They talk about Coach John Robinson. His offensive coordinator was Paul Hackett who is Nathaniel Hackett's dad, obviously. 
Also in this chapter, we get a mention of Clay Matthews. That is not the Clay Matthews you are necessarily thinking of, but he also did play at USC. We're talking about Clay Matthews the second here, who was one of the famous players for USC back in the day. We also get an interesting mention of John McKay, who is a bit of a, a tangential connection to the Packers, but he was the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers under the VP of football operations when the team was founded, a guy whose name you will recognize, Ron Wolf, uh, who did not fare particularly well on his way out in Tampa Bay, who kind of was made the scapegoat for a lot of the things that went wrong there in Tampa. Uh, lost a bit of a power struggle, I guess, to John McKay, but I think things worked out for Ron Wolf in the long run. That is student body right, and next up we get to talk about something very important to the current NFL, to the current Packers, uh, zone blocking, which is has been in the news a little bit more recently with the passing of Alex Gibbs, one of the innovators of zone blocking schemes for the Denver Broncos back in the 90s. But that is for next time, because that's all I've got for you on this this episode of Blue 58. If you enjoyed this episode, if there's someone else you think would enjoy it as well, I would encourage you to share this episode with them. That helps us get more people involved in this conversation around the Green Bay Packers and ultimately helps all of us, as I say, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.